Please turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9. I believe it can be found on page 573 in the Bibles in the chairs in front of you. And also, turn to Colossians chapter 1 if you want to hold your place there. We'll look at that passage here uh, later in the sermon. And as you're trying to find those, I want to just make mention uh, of the, the ladies' retreat that's coming up in February. It's time to go ahead and sign up. Don't delay. They need to go ahead and get um, the, the rooms reserved. And I want to talk to all the husbands right now. Husbands, look at me. Eye contact. This is on you. I want you to look at your wife and say, I want you to go to this. I want you to go and be fed. I want you to go and have a good time. And I want to do, I will do whatever it takes to, to take care of the, the, I'll make sure we have enough cereal and milk and boil the water, whatever you need to do to eat. And uh, please just encourage your wife to go to this, but make that extra step and say, look, I'll take care of the kids. I'll take care of the home. Uh, this is just going to be a great time for our women. So please, husbands, Christmas gift, Christmas gift. Do it. Uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. We're looking at the names of the Messiah. Peter tells us the prophets were carried along by the Holy Spirit as they spoke the words of God. And no doubt that is what we have here before us in the words of Isaiah, verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of the host will accomplish this. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, please, by your Spirit, speak to us. Help us to hear your voice here in the words of Scripture. And change us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Perhaps some of the greatest literature of all time and certainly a a favorite in our family is the brilliant work by C.S. Lewis called The Chronicles of Narnia. If you've never read them or you're not familiar with them, this would make a great Christmas gift for really kids of all ages. It's a wonderful, wonderful work. What makes these stories so uh, compelling, what makes these, these stories Uh, So wonderful and masterful is the way that C.S. Lewis draws the reader into the magical world of Narnia and also introduces us to a a powerful and stately and wonderful creature named Aslan. Not long after hearing and reading about Aslan and learning about him, you will find that you and your children are drawn to this creature. with alarming emotion, almost like there's a spell cast upon you as you hear about Aslan. And Aslan has this effect upon the reader and upon those listening to these great stories because of his presence, because of his stateliness. And of course, he is the the Christ-like figure in C.S. Lewis's work. Decades ago, as the Narnia series was taking off, particularly 
here in the United States, a concerned mother wrote to C.S. Lewis on behalf of her son, Lawrence. Lawrence, having read the Chronicles of Narnia, fell in love with them like so many others. And he became concerned that he was loving Aslan more than Jesus. And this is a very real struggle that that troubled Lewis and and troubled others. And this mother, of course, hand-wrote a letter to C.S. Lewis, and guess what? He hand-wrote a letter back to her. And this was the response that he wrote to this mother. Lawrence can't really love Aslan more than Jesus even if he feels that's what he's doing. For the things he loves Aslan for doing or saying are simply the things Jesus really did and said. So that when Lawrence thinks he is loving Aslan, he is really loving Jesus and perhaps loving him more than ever he did before. Lewis suggested a prayer for this young man and for others who found themselves in this conundrum of perhaps loving Aslan more than Jesus. He said, if I were Lawrence, I'd just say in my prayer something like this. Dear God, if the things I've been thinking and feeling about those books are things you don't like and are bad for me, please take away those feelings and thoughts. But if they are not bad, then please stop me from worrying about them. And if Mr. Lewis has worried any other children by his books or done any harm, then please forgive him. And help him never to do it again. (laughs) Got all his bases covered there, didn't he? (laughs) When we uh, approach the the Christmas season and we think about angels and shepherds and wise men and manger scenes and and a baby lying in this manger, let's not forget that we are not dealing here with mere characters in a fairy tale. We're talking about the incarnation God becoming man. The fact that the baby lying in the manger is, as Isaiah recalls, mighty God. And these things that we so love about Christmas, the things that we proclaim at Christmas, peace on earth and joy and family and giving and receiving gifts, all of these things are meant to point us to Jesus and what he has done. Because it is Christ that makes Christmas what it is. Let's not love the things just about Christmas. Let's fall in love with the person of Christmas. The prophecy in Isaiah about this child to be born, this son to be given, is not to cause us to fall in love with some brave young Jewish parents or a little cute Jewish baby or the the shepherds coming to adore him, but these stories are meant to draw us to the Lord of glory, the mighty God, King Jesus, who rules and who reigns over this world, who is the God of gods, very God of very God, who is, as the writer of Hebrews says, he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power, After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And this truth is proclaimed by 
John, the disciple, the apostle who Jesus loved in his gospel. Chapter 1, he begins, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And then he writes this amazing thing, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's who Jesus is, as the Bible proclaims. C.S. Lewis's advice can be helpful here to us at Christmas time. That we're not just in love with the idea of Christmas, but let us be in love with the reason for Christmas. Let us be in love with Jesus, God becoming flesh, God becoming a man, the almighty God coming down to dwell with his people. That is what the incarnation is. And as mighty God, we affirm that Jesus Christ is one person with two distinct natures. He is 100% God and 100% man. Don't ask me how that math works out, but that's what the Bible says is true. He is fully God. He is fully man. Because the scriptures teach this. And this is what makes Jesus so wonderful. This is what makes him mighty God. Isaiah prophesies for us something here. It had to have been too wonderful for even him to understand that the child to be born, the Messiah, would be the mighty God. And so I ask you this morning, what do you think of when you think about God? What comes to your mind when you try to think about God and who he is? And that maybe begs another question, how are we to think about God? We want to be reverent and careful about the Lord Almighty and how we talk about him. Well, here it is. The Bible teaches us that when we think about God, we're to think about Jesus. When we think about God, we are to think about the Lord Jesus Christ. If you will look there in Colossians chapter 1, in verses 15 through 20, this is what the Apostle Paul says about Jesus as mighty God. Here it is. He, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. What does the kids say these days? Mind blown. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. That means he's really awesome. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile all things, whether on earth or in heaven, 
making peace by the blood of the cross. And again, as we read in our scripture reading earlier in the service in Philippians chapter 2, it tells us that Jesus, he had a glory, a glory that was unimaginable before he set it aside in his humility and became a man. As mighty God, it says that God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, and every tongue confess, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That's who we're to think about when we think about God. Jesus, the image of the invisible God, and isn't it wonderful at Christmas time to think about the fact that the child to be born, the one who would be the king, the savior, the one who would die, that he has the power to do what he came to do because he is mighty God. That is what we are to think about this morning. Isaiah doesn't say the child will be like God. Isaiah says the child will be and is God. John Calvin says it this way, For if we find in Christ nothing but the flesh and nature of man, our glorifying would be foolish and vain, and our hope will rest on an uncertain and insecure foundation. But if he shows himself to be to us God, the mighty God, we may now rely on him with safety. That is good news. And that's the second title given to the Messiah here. Last week we looked at Wonderful Counselor. This week he is Mighty God. And what this title simply says is that Jesus is God. He is powerful as God. And as the powerful, mighty God, perhaps we can best understand this in this threefold office that Jesus has. As the writer of Hebrews says, he is prophet, priest, and king. That's how I think we can think about Jesus as mighty God this morning. The first is Jesus is mighty God in that he is the prophet. What does a prophet do? A prophet foretells what is going to happen sometimes. A lot of times that's what we think of a prophet, we think of it being like a, a, a fortune teller or something like that. But in the scriptures, more often, a prophet is someone who foretells, who speaks the words of God, who tells people what the will of God is for them. And in Hebrews chapter 1, the writer says that Jesus continues to, God continues to speak to his church through the words of his son, that is Jesus Christ. And he has sent his spirit who continues to speak to his church even today. And so what does that mean for you that Christ is prophet? It means that Jesus is not just a man. He's not just a man. It also means that he's not a God who is distant, who is too busy to care about who we are and what we are doing. It means that he's a savior who cares for his church, who cares so much for his church that he still speaks today. Have you heard him speaking lately? 
Have you heard Jesus Christ speak to you? Have you listened for his prophetic voice? I'll be honest with you, there's a lot of heretical teaching out there today that is telling people how to do that and what that looks like. I'm going to tell you what the Bible says that looks like to hear the voice of the Lord. How do we hear Jesus speaking to us? We go to his word. We go to the scriptures. We go to the Bible. You read your Bible and you pray, Lord Jesus, speak to me. Help me to hear your voice. Help me to know your will for my life. Show me the way that I should go. Lead me. Help me. I want to hear from you. That is how he speaks to us. That is why he prayed for us in his great high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. He says to the Father, sanctify them by your truth, Lord. Your word is truth. The prophet Jesus still speaks to us today. Through his word. He is mighty God and he will make his word powerful and effective and living and active. The second thing about Jesus being mighty God is that he is priest. The Bible says he's the great high priest. What do you think of when you think of a priest? A priest is one who intercedes for us. A priest is one that we go to for help. In the Old Testament, a high priest was chosen from among the priestly line once a year, every year, to go into the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle of the Lord to offer sacrifices and incense on behalf of the people of God. And if anyone went into there unlawfully, they would instantly be killed. And so a priest had to go once a year and be ceremonially clean and go in to intercede on behalf of the people of God. But the Bible says that Jesus is a great high priest forever. He doesn't just go one time. He doesn't just go once a year. He is there always interceding for us and empowering us, our great high priest. And Jesus, as our great high priest, not only intercedes for us by looking around and asking if somebody brought a sacrifice, He sacrifices himself. This priest, this great high priest, gives up his own life. He gives the ultimate sacrifice to rescue us from our sins and to make us to be the sons of God and to give us the Holy Spirit who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. And as our great high priest, as your priest, you need to hear this morning that Jesus is for you. He is for you. He is for you no matter what. No matter what you're going through, no matter how difficult life can be, no matter how bad you may have may be struggling, no matter what you've done, Jesus is the mighty God who is for you. Perhaps this morning you need to stop trying to get through life on your own. And trying to fix it all 
by yourself. Perhaps what you need to do this morning is simply go to Jesus and say, help me, help me. Oh, great Lord, mighty God, Jesus, help me. Again, the writer of Hebrews describes this priestly office of Jesus this way. He says, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. And then he says this, this is amazing. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But with, we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. We have a great high priest who does not stand far off in some kingdom that cannot be touched or approached. We have a great high priest who is just like us, who became God incarnate, and who in every respect is able to sympathize with us as fully God and fully man. Last, Jesus is mighty God in that he is the king. He's prophet, priest, and king. As, as God, Jesus is the great king who, what do great kings do? They provide for their people. They protect their people. And as the protector, John Calvin says, with good reason does Isaiah call Jesus strong or mighty Because our contest is with the devil, death, and sin. Enemies too powerful and strong by whom we would immediately be vanquished if the strength of Christ had not rendered us invincible. Thus, we learn from this title that there is in Christ an abundance of protection for defending our salvation so that we desire nothing beyond him For he is God, who is pleased to show himself strong on our behalf. As your king, Jesus will fight for you. He will protect you. He is mighty God. Back to Narnia. Sorry, it's Christmas time. I think of Narnia a lot. Back into Narnia, where we learn about Aslan. And the children found in the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe that he was a lion. They had quite the reaction to learn about him. Aslan is a lion? The lion, the great lion. Ooh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel very nervous about meeting a lion. Safe? said Mr. Beaver. The animals talk in Narnia. You got to go read it. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Jesus Christ is the king, I tell you. He's the good king. He's the best king. He's the great king. He is 
before you as your king. This Christmas time, when you read your Bible, and when you hear that great Christmas story, and you, when you hear about what Jesus did and how he became a man as God, I want you to notice as we read these stories, as we talk about Christmas time, the reaction of the people who encountered him. The reaction of, of the script in the scriptures of the people who met Jesus was, was all over the place. Nobody's reaction was indifferent. Nobody just said, oh, there goes that, that guy. There were people who were mad at him. They didn't like him. He was messing up their life. He was ruining their economy. He was causing a great stir. There were those who followed him, who were curious about him. There were those who were scared of him as they perceived he was one with great power. But then there were shepherds and wise men and fishermen and tax collectors, sinners, who knelt down before him and worshipped him as mighty God. This morning, consider this. The mighty God, the one who Colossians says is the word of God who spoke the world into existence, who created all things and who upholds the universe by the word of his power, is the one who became mighty God. Lying in a manger, God became flesh. The mighty one who humbled himself by being born is the one who willingly subjected himself to pain and to suffering of this world, and he humbled himself even to death on a cross. And that's what we're to think about this morning as we approach this table as we think about his body that was broken, his blood that was shed, God Almighty became a man. He humbled himself and he died to save us from our sins and to bring us back into a right relationship with God Almighty. That is what we're to think about this morning. So Merry Christmas, everyone. Thanks be to God, our Lord and Savior Jesus who is mighty God. Let's pray. Our Father, as we approach communion this morning, would you remind us of this wonderful truth at Christmas time, that in your infinite power and glory and the most wise counsel of your holy will, you sent your one and only Son, be born of a virgin, to be born as a man, to be humbled, to die. How astonishing is it that you, Almighty God, did this for us. And so, Lord, now help us to adore Christ the Lord. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.